You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Columbia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 451 of the Columbia Calling podcast. This week's very special guest is even more special to me. My wife, Alba, will be on, Alba Torres, and she will be talking about La Nina, the uh, phenomenon, the weather phenomenon that brings more rain to Colombia. And of course, we'll be discussing not only that in its scientific background, but also referring to, well, personal anecdotes about when the last really big hit by La Nina took place here in Colombia, and that was in 2010. It brought much of Colombia to a watery standstill. And of course, those of us, those of you out there who listen to the Columbia Calling podcast will know that we have small businesses in Montpós, and that is on the very banks of the Magdalena River in the department of Bolivar. And so that is getting hit pretty hard right now. We're still a few centimeters away from flooding, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what we remember from 2010, of course, 12 years ago now. And as we sit here under the deluge in Bogota, the concern is, of course, that this water ends up in the rivers and goes out, and then within four days, it's down by Montbos before heading up further into the Caribbean coast. So very worrying times on that front for us here uh, in Bogota and around the country, because, of course, it's not exclusive to Montbos. It's not exclusive to Bogota. The flooding has taken place everywhere. So we will be talking about that in segment three after news from Emily Hart, the Columbia News Brief, an excellent job that she does every week. And of course, this is a call. Please let us know if there are people you'd like to hear on the Columbia Calling podcast. I've got some great names in the pipeline, a real surprise for you, hopefully before we go off on our, on our Christmas break. And a thank you to Peter Watson and Nicholas Forsons for, uh, well, sending in their articles, which will be included in my sort of history politics book on Colombia coming out uh, next year. And the idea is that if anyone else has a, uh, well, an essay they would like to contribute that deals with Colombia, the economy, the politics, the culture, and so on, well, please get in touch. You can get in touch at columbiacalling at gmail.com or just message us on Twitter. I do respond pretty fast. So that's me for now. We'll be back in segment three with Alba and we'll be talking about La Nina and how it is hitting Colombia quite hard. I'm Emily Hart and these are your top stories for the week of November 28th, 2022. Peace talks are now underway between guerrilla group, the ELN, the National Liberation Army and the Colombian government taking place on the outskirts of Caracas, the Venezuelan capital. The talks are attempting some continuity with previous attempts at negotiation between the group and the government. The original agenda set in 2016 between the ELN and the government of then-president Juan Manuel Santos during an earlier round of talks is set to serve as a starting point. 
Key elements will be the inclusive participation of society in the design and construction of peace, regulatory frameworks, programs to overcome poverty and exclusion, treatment of victims, and the ELN's transition and reintegration into society and politics. The ELN has now spoken openly about returning to the negotiating table only because Colombia has a left-wing government. But Colombia's president, Gustavo Petro, has chosen negotiators from across the political spectrum, seemingly in attempts to achieve a deeper political consensus around the deal than was achieved during the divisive peace process with the FARC. The delegation, following the appointment of four women last week, is now half women, including journalist Maria Jimena Dusan and Presbyterian pastor Adelaida Jimenez. Within the first week, preliminary agreements have been announced for immediate implementation. They regard humanitarian relief, which in practice means freeing hostages and releasing guerrillas. The National Prosecutor's Office, at Petro's request, has also withdrawn search and arrest warrants against 17 guerrilla leaders. At the same time, the armed group has released several people it was holding prisoner in camps. The negotiations began with Cuba, Norway and Venezuela as guarantor countries. As part of these preliminary agreements, the negotiating table has invited Brazil, Chile and Mexico to join as guarantor countries. Germany, Sweden, Switzerland, Spain and the USA have been asked to accompany the process. The ELN's chief negotiator, Pablo Beltran, spoke specifically about the role of the United States and announced that he hoped the country would follow the process taking a proactive and supportive attitude, having formally said that the US has been disastrous for peace processes in Latin America. The ELN has around 2,500 members and strong territorial presence in Nariño and Chocó, as well as in northeast Colombia, on the border with Venezuela. In recent years, the group has expanded its presence on the Venezuelan side of the border. According to the Truth Commission's final report, the ELN was responsible for nearly 18,000 homicides and 10,000 kidnappings during the civil conflict, measured up to 2018. In other peace process news, a key and much-awaited step has been taken in relation to the peace accords with guerrilla group the FARC. The Chamber of Recognition of the Special Justice for Peace issued the resolution of conclusions on the responsibility of seven former FARC leaders for more than 21,000 kidnappings they committed. Kidnapping was a widespread FARC policy with the aim of forcing an exchange for imprisoned guerrillas, solidifying territorial control, or gaining financing for their activities. The Special Justice for Peace, known as the HEP, say the leadership should pay with restrictions on their freedoms and rights, though not imprisonment under the terms of the peace process. The restriction of liberty contemplates surveillance and limitations on the right of movement, though the tribunal will define the zones where they should remain for their sentences. The court has proposed that six be given the maximum sanction, eight years, and five years for a seventh who did not have command responsibility. The HEP has also recommended that former FARC leaders make reparations to victims by carrying out humanitarian demining and clearing areas of explosive remnants of war, as well as aiding the search for people still missing. One of the most important tasks will be the search for the hostages killed in captivity, many of whose remains are still missing. Within a few months, the HEP will decide whether or not the proposed sanctions are appropriate. 
Meanwhile, conflict continues in Colombia's countryside as one of the deadliest battles this year left 18 people dead in the department of Putumayo. The clash reportedly occurred between two structures related to dissident FARC groups, the Carolina Ramirez Front and the Comandos de la Frontera. The Ombudsman's Office and Putumayo authorities held a security council on Sunday night to assess the situation, although the Ombudsman's Office has been issuing warnings since last year about the area and the presence of both armed groups, as well as possible co-optation by the Mexican Sinaloa cartel. Colombia saw many marching to mark the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women on Friday. Indicators for violence against women have risen in Colombia over the last year. Unlike countries such as Mexico, which has specialised prosecutors, Colombia has hardly any expert officials for cases of gender violence. The few that exist are in major cities, while courts and police stations still in places refer to femicides as crimes of passion. The medical examiner's office said that so far this year, the agency has received almost 30,000 spousal abuse reports and 9,900 domestic abuse reports related to women and children. The agency's medical personnel have additionally employed more than 18,700 rape kits, of which more than half had been requested for girls under 18 years old. Vice President Francia Marquez and a number of ministers marked the day by announcing an integral plan of guarantees, seeking to respond to what they call a national emergency of violence against women. Senator Maria José Pizarro, the president of the Women's Equality Commission, called on the government to declare an emergency over this sharp increase in violence against women and girls. That categorization would allow the government to allocate emergency funds for the prevention of violence against women and the effective prosecution of abusers. The prosecutor has opened an inquiry into Aero Civil, seeking to establish the link between the Aviation Authority and organizations dedicated to drug trafficking. Yesterday, Minister Guillermo Reyes announced the removal of high-ranking officials According to allegations that reached the Ministry of Transport, for the last 10 years, more than 100 officials have facilitated drug trafficking, signing contracts for phantom officials and unlawfully granting licenses to pilots. On his first presidential visit to Mexico, President Gustavo Petro has met with his counterpart, after which he announced various agreements, including the humanization of migration policy, moves towards a regionally integrated drug policy, a regional anti-inflation policy, and a pan-American electricity network. Colombia and Mexico will also join together to call on the rest of the region to change the focus of the failed war on drugs. Those were your top stories for this week. Thanks for listening. And we're back. This is episode 451. With me is my brilliant wife, Alba Torres, back on the show. Hi, Richard. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Isn't it great to have her back? Now, it's not just because she's amazing, but she is also an economist, an epidemiologist, and has a master's in global health policy. And so who better to talk to us about some of the effects and what is going on in the country right now due to this uh, well, climate phenomenon of La Nina. And so I'm going to ask her all about this because we have a vested interest as well. 
the fact that we have small businesses along the river, along the Magdalena River in Colombia at Mompos, well, we're at risk, a serious risk of flooding. And so, of course, we've been through that before in 2010, and we'll be talking about that a bit later. But let's get some of the cold, hard facts out there. Alba, tell me, explain to me, an idiot for science, explain to me what La Nina is and what, well, is it different? I mean, what is La Nina? Okay, La Nina and El Nino are climbing potters in the Pacific Ocean that can affect weather worldwide. Okay. La Nina and El Nino are opposite events. During the Nina, waters in the Pacific coast are colder, and during the Nino are warmer. Okay. Um, this um, La Nina phenomenon that we experience right now, it has been very intense and lengthy. Okay, so it's gone longer than normal. Yes. All right, and this means lots of rain. Lots of rains and floodings. Yeah, and we've had, I mean, we're sitting here right now today in Bogota, and it is just, it can't stop raining. And I've heard that in Medellin as well. Yes. This season, we had 76% of chance that the Niña could stay until February. Uh, this last Niña is, has been three consecutive boreal winters. That means three years long. So it's been three years long, and a 76% that it could run until February. Yes. I mean, that, we're going to see absolutely massive areas of Colombia underwater. Oh, yes. If we think about La Nina, the longest was in 1950s, in the 50s. Yeah. And last 35 months. And this Oof. Nina, it has been 31 months. If we count until Marshness year it could be 31 months okay so 31 so then it will be the longest yes. my god and and i read somewhere and i must be wrong but the meteorological meteorological society here so the idam have even given a percentage of these rains and la nina lasting until april 2023 yes. and it's not also long it's also very strong if the strongest La Nina was in 2010 to 2012 uh -huh. and was very, very strong. Now, do you remember the floods in, in Mompos uh, and in Colombia? Well, I remember because I remember having to drive through them. I mean, when we had to drive to Mompos one time uh, and, it, you know, the, the water, I have four by four, but the water was up to the the front well above the front lights on the car it was it was pretty shocking so what are i mean what are we seeing now here in in colombia what i mean i see a little bit of reporting about la nina and about the rains i mean we're living it but what what's happening well the intensity of the nina is very strong this is in this season mm -hmm. because we have a, a stronger trade winds especially in September, well, in July and August 2002. Mm -hmm. And in some part of the world, La Nina can cause uh, droughts, like in Africa or in meridional South America, like in Peru, mm -hmm. or in Mexico is causing droughts too. But it's also causing floods in Southeast Asia and Australasia. All right. But here, here at home, and we're, we're, I mean, it's all over the country, right? 
Yes, around the country, especially in the northern uh, Caribbean coast, uh, in, in the Andean zone, and the Orinoquia. Okay, so we're looking at, I can see that, the northern Caribbean coast, La Costa, where 10 million people live, the Andean zone, which is where we all live, and the, I mean, that's the 70% of the country lives in between the two uh, cordilleras, or mountain ranges, and the Orinoquia is largely unpopulated, but equally, it's such an important waterway. Uh, as, I mean, I don't know, what are we expecting that's going to happen? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm worried, frankly. Yes. Also, we are in a climate change contest uh, that can rise the global temperature and intensify the meteorology phenomenon and give up extreme weather change. So. Okay. But so, I mean, we've been doing some research and we've been looking at where has been affected, but perhaps you could tell us, you know, where is affected by these heavy rains in Colombia? I think all the country has been affected by La Nina, but particularly I would like to bring attention to Montpost depression, especially La Mojana, that has been under the water for the last year. Really? Really. Okay. So, I mean, you know, obviously Montpost itself, but the towns in the region have been underwater. Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, dear. So, I mean, I've seen pictures on Facebook and places, you know, from around from local journalists showing people leaving their homes, carrying their beds to higher ground. Where else is affected as, as well? Uh, I'm sure there's some affecting Cordoba. Cordoba, Magdalena, Sucre. Bolívar and Cesar. So it's a set, almost all of the coast apart from, let's say, the Caribbean side of the Choco and um, the Guajira. Guajira. Yes. So the two extremes are not affected, but all of the middle section yeah. are. And also Atlántico. And Atlántico, of course, where yes. Barranquilla is. Well, whenever you see an arroyo, which anyone, I should just, I recommend you look up on YouTube, Arroyo in Barranquilla, and it's like a wall of water that comes down uh, through the city of Barranquilla. So, I mean, what are we expecting uh, to happen in these places? Okay, uh, let me give you some context about the region. Well, Montpós is immersed in these huge wetlands that are the largest wetlands in Colombia and also in South America. Mm -hmm. uh, the mainland is used for floating plain cropping. Um, before the Spanish colonization, the indigenous people drained the water using a land management city, uh, system based on turrets and channel prevention flood. So this, is this where they would, in, in low water season, scoop up the alluvial accretions from the bottom of their channels to put on and make higher ground so that their crops wouldn't flood? Yes. Due to that flow plates are no longer draining, flows damage crops more often than under previous management system, that this management system that used the indigenous people. Mm -hmm. So they knew. They, they knew, knew how they to were doing. Yeah, they knew how to control the, the flows in, in the rainy season. And also they used the the land when it was dry season to cultivate the land. And mm -hmm. um, in the rain season they know how to control all the flowings. Mm -hmm. So 
I mean, in this situation, it seems like it's a repetition of so many other problems. And of course, we humans, uh, and let's say in inverted commas, the, the civilized society have created greater problems. What, what do we attribute the, the greater problems to? Uh, one of the greatest problems is, is has been the decrease of the artisanal uh, fishery. Yeah, artisanal fishing. Yes, and also the the increase of the population. Uh huh. And the extensive the extensive cattle farming. And the increase of the uh, sedimentation of the river. So we've got. A decrease in artisanal fishing. We've got a an increase in cattle farming. We've got increased sedimentation. Of course, cattle farming and deforestation go hand in hand as well, as we know from all around the country. Uh, so it seems to me that when we have these kinds of wet periods... There's nowhere left for the water to go. There's nothing to create this sponge, is there? So, so I understand. I mean, we talked about the, we are talking about the Depresión Momposina and La Mojana, which is a huge area, as you said. It's a massive, massive wetland. It's a sponge for the water from, from the rest of the country. But it's always been this way. So why, I mean, why are people so I mean, concerned about it? Is it, it what, what, what is so special about this place? Because this, this part of the country is highly populated and also is a special place for biodiversity. There is a floodplain, marsh, wetland, tropical forest and dry forest. So it's got a bit of everything. So I'm, I can hear there that, you know, when I, well, obviously I know the area we do, um, obviously uh, attract bird watchers, people looking for different things and the tourism and, all, and also. So what, I mean, what kind of solutions are we looking at? Because obviously the cattle farmers are not going to want to give up their lands and the people planting, I don't know, palm oil or whatever else are not going to want to cut down their trees to reforest it to what it was originally. Are there any government plans that could... Uh, you know, help out this situation? Yes. In the last big flooding mm -hmm. in 2010 and 2011, there was a commission coming from Japan and Holland, and they advised to create a reserve out around La Mojana and the Monpos Depression. What we're saying is that these Dutch and Japanese uh, delegations came, and what did they say? They wanted to... To create a reserve around La Mojana to delimit mm -hmm. the wetland and regulate the flow of the Mandalena River and the Cauca River. How do, how do you uh, regulate a flow of a big river like this? You can construct dikes that are marginal and possible. That means you can create dikes that are along the river yeah. and other that go into the river and connect all the small channels mm -hmm. and the lakes with the rivers. Okay, so I can see there's a network of dikes 
parallel to the river. That would be like in Holland. Yes. I can understand why they would know about this. And the Japanese, of course, know about reclaimed land and unstable land. So that, that makes sense. And has any of this, I mean, this was a commission, two commissions that came in 2010. Has anything been done? There is a little to be done. They, they start a dike, but the dike is not finished <laughs> until now. So that's 12 of, years later. One, one of the four main dikes that they advise to, to construct. So one of four has been finished in 12 it years. It hasn't been finished. Okay. It's, it's under construction it's still. It's under construction. So we're looking at, you know, we can blame the present government in their 120 days in power or whatever for because they came in knowing that La Nina was already occurring, but we need to blame every government, well, every previous government. If we go back to 2010, we're looking at from, what's well, it, Uribe, isn't it? He was in until 2012, then it was 2012 Santos. to 16, Santos, Santos, Duque, and now Petro. So there are things that could have been done which have not been done. Are there any other projects underway uh, the other project on the way is to drain the the river, and it has been it has been done partially. No, it's not finished yet. Oh, this is the dredging. The dredging. Oh, but of course that also fell behind because it was part of the Odebrecht uh, commission as well, wasn't it? Yes. And of course we know what happened to Odebrecht. So the dredging of the river, and I, what I understand is that if they dredge the smaller rivers that flow into the Magdalena, this helps more. Yes, all the all the tributaries, uh, rivers. So, I mean, one of the main things that's of concern to me, and of course concern to you, we have family, well, your family in the Depresión Monposina, we have our businesses, uh, but it's always about the people. And I know there'll be people out there or listeners out there saying, well, you just got to move these people or they shouldn't be living there or no one should be living in an area such as La Mojana, which is, you know, a, a biologically diverse and very, very fragile, very delicate part of the world, shouldn't have human inhabitation. But it's not that people wanted to be there in the beginning there have been populations there for a long time but at the same time in colombia those who are most at risk from climate change and those most at risk from natural disasters end up being the poorest people the ones who've been made to go to these places so albert you know the area you grew up along the river banks and barranca bermeja and so on tell us about the people of this of these regions Okay. Uh, in Colombia, we, we used to call these people amphibious because they spend half of the time in land and half of the time in the water. <laughs> um, you can imagine in Colombia, the 26% of the land is wetlands. 26 of all Colombia? Yes, it's wow. wetlands. There are more than 48,000 wetlands in Colombia. Okay. So Colombia is a region of wetlands. <laughs> and and these people, these people that live in these areas, I mean, you know, this is their livelihood. This is this is everything. Yes, when you think in a, a small scale, the the human uh, the human can live in in equilibrium with the 
with the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. But when you start to deforestate, when you had agriculture in large scale and uh, livestock, the greatest portion of the land mm -hmm. is when all the problems begin. It's true. Anything anything done to excess almost without a a balance. And I like that. When you can live in on a small scale, you can live in an equilibrium, but not as we are right now. And I mean, I I you know, I think we should talk about our personal experiences because we have obviously again I mentioned the properties in Montpost, the little hotels and families and so on. At the moment as of today, we are 12 centimeters away from the same level of water that led to the massive flooding. Uh, we are 12 centimeters in Mompos away from the same levels as in 2010. So I think, and of course we'll be going there, you know, we'll be going there for Christmas, but I think we'll see some of the same images. Do you remember? Do you remember some of the images that we, we saw and we lived through uh, out there in 2010? Yes, I remember that people moved from the neighborhood to, to a higher land. That is the the roads. Mm -hmm. So people live in the roads. So it was hard to to transit mm -hmm. with your car or your truck in in those roads. It was difficult for 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 goods to come in because the the highest ground was was the road, and so everyone had to, they they put up what what we know as kombuches, right? So it's yeah. sort of like makeshift huts with plastic roofing and so on. Um, and of course, people were just waiting. I mean, they were just waiting for the water to go down. That's all they could do. I think I remember there being some some government help. Was it was it food? They sent some tents uh -huh. and food, but I don't remember if they sent much more. Much more. Yeah, yeah I know. All I remember is there was corruption around the food as well. I remember that some some people tried to sell it, even though it was free. Some was left in in bodegas, in warehouses, and rotted because they were hiding it to try and sell on. So the typical uh, main illness of of the country, like corruption. Um, what else can we remember? We had to we had to uh, buy sand and bags to make sandbags to sandbag our block. We're doing that this year, aren't we? Yeah. Do you remember about Abundio? Abundio is the musician. The, the musician, yeah. He he has to leave his house for a, around four months because it was complete flooded. Yeah, completely flooded. Uh, he said he, he has a water snake in his house. So there was venomous water snakes in his flooded house. Like It's just, it's the thing of nightmares for many people out there. And I mean, I remember the people were, were like camping on a football field, like school football fields. I'm sure people will be be. I'm sure people will be moved to the big like uh, indoor stadium, wherever it is, whatever it's called. Um, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, definitely, and especially if we think that there might be rains until April or February next year. So I mean, what what? I don't know. I mean, any government response now is is only to combat the immediate problem. Yes, it's, it's only to... They, they give some humanitarian help, but they don't have 
like a mitigation plan that can be applied to diminishing this the effect of the La Nina phenomenon mm. in in this region. And we always say there are pañitos de agua tibia. So like sort of, um, uh, I would just say it's like putting a Band-Aid on, but the literal translation is is um, uh, like uh, pañitos, sort of uh, wet cloths, right? Wet cloths, uh, yeah. yeah. sort of, a, you know, to sort of help a wound. You do a little wet cloth, but you're not well, doing the... But when you had a fever and you try to... Oh, yeah, when you put it on your head. Yeah, when you put so, it on your head. Yeah. Uh, when you put a wet cloth on your he uh, head to try and reduce the, the, the fever. fever. But it doesn't really do anything, yeah. So it's yes. like you know, it's, it's putting, a, putting a plaster, or for my American friends, a Band-Aid on, on a situation that really requires a great deal more work. Is there any, anything else that we've left out? Because hopefully, you know, hopefully some of the, this, this weather will, will cease at least in Bogota, and then, you know, that helps us, that helps us further, further down the river up in, in Mompos and around. Um, but I, you know, obviously incredibly worried for the local people and their livelihoods. Is, is there anything else we, we've overlooked, Alba? Well, I can invite people to donate to some organizations to help uh, people who has been affected by the floods in Colombia. All right. Um, we'll, we'll look for some uh, good uh, uh, causes, good charities. I think the Colombian Red Cross would be a good one. They usually, they usually turn up in these places. But we'll look to some and maybe put some links up on the Facebook site and on, uh, and on uh, Twitter. Because really, there is so little reporting going on. And that's what's, what's bothering me. And it's always the same. It's like, Colombia goes through some sort of catastrophe and it's the World Cup or the Copa America. Always. Always. If you remember in, in the last uh, big La Nina, mm. there almost 500 people died in, the, in 2011, 2012. Really? 500? And how many other people were affected? Three million people. Three million people. Yeah. Out of a population of what? 46 uh, million? Three, mil three million people. People was affected in the Caribbean coast, and in Colombia was like ten million people affected by by La Nina. It's amazing. It's 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 a it's a tragedy that is already happening. It's not something we're saying. Oh, you know, it's going to happen. It's already happening. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess we just need to report more and and hopefully put some pressure on the powers that be to to take a bit more. Uh, awareness about what is affecting much of the country and such a delicate area of the country. Alba, my brilliant, brilliant wife, thank you so much for, for sharing this. Because, you know, you live on the river. You have grown up along the river and, and your parents grew up along the river. You are river people. <laughs> you yes, know. we are river people. You are river people. Your dad's from Cesar, your mum's from Bolivar, and you grew up on the river in Santander. So you covered so much of it. You know what it's all about. Um, so thank you for your time and all of this and, and, and coming on the podcast again with me. It's a real pleasure. Sorry for my little contribution, but it's in my... It's your good intentions. Yes, it's a good intentions. I know. It's, it's, it came from the heart.
All right. Well, thank you very much to everyone for listening to this episode 451 of the Columbia Calling Podcast. I remind you that you can support us on Patreon. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling. There are goodies on there for long-term sponsors. And indeed, uh, we will be bringing out books in the near future. So uh, those will go out to long-term sponsors as well. And of course, over to our uh, the advertisers uh, here. So don't go away. Please support them as well. Latin News and BNB Columbia Tours. Thank you again. And be sure to tune in next week when we'll have another person talking about all things Columbia related. Bye-bye. The Columbia Calling Podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. The Columbia Calling Podcast is also proud to say that we are sponsored by BNB Columbia Tours, which is a leading tour operator in Colombia, providing a large range of private day tours, transportation, and bespoke packages throughout Colombia since 2017. By popular demand, from January 2023, they will be providing exclusive small group shared tours for those aged 50 and over. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a private package of your own, just complete the form on the Columbia Calling website, that's columbiacalling.co, or the Plan My Trip form on the BNB Columbia Tours website, that's bnbcolumbia.com, and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all your questions, and to start the planning of your Columbia adventure. So please support our sponsors, our patrons here on the Columbia Calling Podcast. That's bnbcolumbia.com and latinnews.com. Thank you again.